this morning we're in Genesis chapter 32. It's really the second part of one long sermon that got divided in two. We looked last week at Jacob exiting the promised land. And this week, Jacob's back, trying to enter back into the promised land. So we're in uh, verse chapter 32, verse 22 to the end of the chapter, page 27, if you're using a pew Bible. It'll be helpful for you to read along. And we'll be looking at, at those few verses in the, in the chapters preceding it as we get into the sermon. But let's stand together as we, see, as we uh, read God's word. Genesis 32, beginning with verse 22. The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered, 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 delivered. It was upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. <clears throat> when I was in the ninth grade, I joined the wrestling team considered a big mistake because I just think that was torture. So I'm not sure why I signed up for it, but I'm guessing because I had some friends that were on the football team and wrestling followed the wrestling season, followed the football season. And, you know, they needed somebody to wrestle heavyweight and they just got somebody who's not very smart from the offensive line to come in and join them. So they came and talked me into doing it. And uh, it was really hard. I don't know if you've ever wrestled, but man, you're done after two or three minutes. And so I don't remember too, too many good experiences that, but with that, but I remember this one particular experience, and that was we were on the bus, standard sort of activity bus. We're going to the opponent's, you know, school. And a couple of guys were just kind of talking about somebody who was really big who wrestled heavyweight for this other school. And they were kind of talking like this is an un, this is an unusually sized individual, and I was like, mm, I'm getting a little nervous. And so when you get to the school, you go to the locker room, and you, you get in your locker room, and then there, there's a couple of hallways, and at, in the middle, in the meeting spot, is a scale. You know, the scales where you know it's 50 pound increments at the bottom, and then the little sliding one up at the top, and, and you would line up sort of smallest to largest, and you would come up as weight class, so the one guy from each team would come up and make sure they were inside the, the, the weight limit. And so I came around this corner as the last guy, and, and, I, and I met my opponent face to face, or it maybe face to waist really was better said. Uh, tab Thacker, big tab they called him, he's in 10th grade, I'm in 9th grade, Six five three fifty. 
ninth, tenth grader. He was actually more than 350 because, you know, the scale goes up to 350. So they put it all up to 300. Then they put it all the way up to 50, and it still didn't go down. It was so just, they did, He just looked at me like, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm not going to live through this, so it doesn't really matter. And so I knew this, this was going to be a difficult chore, this little wrestling match. And I'll spare you the highlights, really, because there weren't any highlights <laughs> uh, to speak of. But it was an unusual moment for me. It was, it was a, uh, I was no match for Tab Thacker. He, he went on to NC State, and in 1984, he became the national champion, NCAA national championship in the heavyweight division. So I'm sure if you found Tab Thacker, you'd say, remember Paul Phillips? I mean, no. I mean, how can you remember 30, 45 seconds of your life? I mean, I was just happy to have survived. Well, it's an unusual wrestling match, but, you know, this, this passage is, again, a very unusual passage and a very unusual wrestling match because you have Jacob, a man, wrestling with somebody who's called the man. And, and it's, he finds out he's actually wrestling with God himself. And so we want to look at this wrestling match and try to pick up on what is happening here. And probably the most unusual aspect of the wrestling match is that it says that, that Jacob prevailed. And what I want to say, and I want to reinforce this, is that uh, Jacob prevails at precisely the moment he realizes he's no match for God. When he realizes, I'm, re- I'm not just wrestling a man, I'm wrestling a divine man, and I'm no match for this, this person, then when he realizes and confesses, I'm no match for you, I, I couldn't possibly beat you, then that's at the moment that he actually prevails. And so we want to look at that. And let's just get some background here. Let's remember what's happening. Jacob is the, the grandson of, of Abraham, and he's the son of Isaac. And so Isaac has these twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is the younger one, and Jacob comes out of the, the womb wrestling. Esau comes out first, and as Esau comes out, Jacob's got a hold of Esau's heel. He's already wrestling right out of the womb. And as we saw last week in Genesis chapter 25, Jacob continues to wrestle with Esau, and he wrestles away his birthright deceitfully. Two chapters later, he he wrestles away deceitfully a blessing from Isaac that was meant for Esau, and Jacob deceitfully wrestles it away. And Esau is so infuriated when he realizes what Jacob has done, he says, hey, when my father dies... To Jacob, I'm going to kill you. Understandably frightening Jacob to realize, i got to get out of town. And so Jacob, and we saw this last week, he heads out of the promised land. So he's going out of the promised land, and he's going to go backwards really to where Abraham's starting. And it, and it feels like Jacob's whole life is just going backwards now. And he ends up back in this town that Abraham started out, and he ends up in his uncle's house. His uncle's name is Laban. And you can read about those 20 years from Genesis 29 to 31. And really what happened was Jacob continued to wrestle. But this time he's wrestling not against Esau. He's wrestling against Laban. And he wrestles away Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he marries both of them. And then he basically wrestles away all of Laban's wealth. 
So in 20 years, he shows up with nothing. And when he leaves, he has his two daughters and he has all of his wealth, mostly from deception. And so when we get here to uh, chapter uh, this particular chapter, Jacob's decided after 20 years, hey, I've made it. I'm I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-made. Yes, I've been deceitful, but I've wrestled things that I've wanted. I've got them for myself, and I'm ready to head back to the promised land. And so he starts heading back with all of his entourage, and he realizes the same thing you realize. He's still got a problem ahead. He's got actually a, a pretty big problem, a pretty big enemy, a pretty big threat, and that's Esau. Last time he saw Esau, Esau said, hey, the next time you're dead. And so as he's coming back, Jacob gets pretty panicked about what this encounter with Esau is going to be. His mind is completely focused on Esau, completely focused on he's the biggest problem. He's my biggest threat into getting back into the promised land. And so Jacob decides as he's coming back, hey, it'd be a good idea to send a scout ahead. And so he says, hey, to the scout, you go and you find Esau. Just try to get sort of a a read on his emotional thermometer. See what I'm going to be facing as I actually come face to face with Esau. So the scout goes ahead and then he comes back and he gives this report. And look at the report. It's chapter 32, verse 6. And the messengers, they're coming back to Jacob and saying, we came to your brother Esau. Okay, good. He's coming to meet you. Okay, good. And there are 400 men with him. Uh, not so good. I mean, why do you need 400 men for a family reunion? I mean, it's just going to be brother and brother, right? I mean, we're brothers. We love each other. And, but, but you need to bring 400 men. That's making me pretty nervous. And you get a sense if you read through the rest of the chapter... Just how much Esau hits the panic button. The first thing he does is he decides in in verses 6 through 8, he decides, hey, I'll just divide my family and all of my possessions. So half goes over here and half goes over there. And if Esau comes and ransacks one of the halves, then at least I have half of it left. The other half can escape. So he's already sort of scheming his plan. The second thing, 9 through 12, Jacob actually prays. And what's stunning about this is this is Jacob's very first prayer that's ever recorded in the Bible. Here he is. He's the person chosen by God. And this is the very first time he prays. It also happens to be the longest recorded prayer in the book of Genesis. You know, you hit the panic button, you start praying. You got it. No prayer needed. But as soon as you don't have it, I need to help. So he, he's, he's scheming, saying, I've got to divide my possessions, but man, I still needed some outside help, and God, could you possibly deliver me? Look at verse 11. Please deliver me. This is the core of his prayer. Deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. See, Esau's my biggest enemy. Esau's my biggest threat, and God, could you possibly deliver me from Esau? Then 13 through 21, Jacob develops this plan. He realizes the story in Jacob's head is Esau's got an army. Esau's coming to kill Jacob. So he decides, hey, in three different waves, I'll send out my possessions to, to Esau. Maybe that'll sort of bring down his, uh, bring down his emotional temperature. So it's a total of about 550 livestock. So this is the way you think of wealth in this time. 
And each time the, the servants, when they come to Esau, each wave, they're supposed to say this, verse 18, these things belong to your servant Jacob, but they are pres- uh, present sent to my Lord Esau. Just, now just notice the language, because Jacob wants to make sure each one of these people says the same thing. These things belong to your servant Jacob, but now they're the Lord Esau. See, I've been trying to get on top the whole time, but now that I come back and think you're going to kill me, I'm going to reverse the roles. Oh, you're the Lord and I'm the servant. Very much a scheme to try to get through. Then in this final act of desperation, verse 22, in the middle of the night, you get this sense that Jacob can't sleep. He's got his two wives, he's got his 11 children, and he's just like, I don't know where Esau is. It's the middle of the night, and, and maybe I should send him across this river, the, the Jabok River. So it, it sounds similar both in the Hebrew and the, and the, uh, and the English. Jacob wrestling at Jabok. It's, it's supposed to, you're supposed to understand that, that play on words. And, and the river is on the east side of the River Jordan. So the River Jordan is like a boundary, and on the other side is the Mediterranean Sea. And here is East Jacob. He's on the outside. He's on the outside of the promised land. And it's not just a geographical barrier that Jacob has. It's a spiritual barrier. How is he going to get back in to the promised land? And then when you get to verse 24, as the reader, you're supposed to feel this cold emptiness. And Jacob was left alone. Moses is, he's not just relating facts, he's telling a story. So his congregation is listening, and when he gets to 24, I just imagine Moses saying, and Jacob, he was, he was left alone. All of his family, all of his possessions quickly slipped through his fingers. The things he'd worked 20 years to grab for himself, now he has nothing, and he's all alone. And it's so important to understand here the narrative in Jacob's mind. Because we all have these stories in our mind that we that drive our lives forward. And for Jacob, the story in his mind was Esau's my biggest enemy. Esau's my biggest threat. It, it, the biggest problem I have in my life, Jacob would say, is external things. If I could somehow address these external things, if these external things could go away, if these external things could turn out my way, then I'd be okay. But my biggest threat of getting back into the promised land is Esau. And what Jacob learns in these next few verses that we'll look at in just a moment is that Esau isn't Jacob's biggest enemy. Jacob is Jacob's biggest enemy. Jacob's biggest enemy aren't external circumstances, they're internal circumstances. And Jacob has no idea that that's the the truth until he has this very unusual wrestling match with God. Jacob is completely blinded to who he is and where he is until God very unusually gets into this wrestling match and Jacob comes out a different man. Now, Now, before we discuss this wrestling match, I want to comment about this moment of of being alone. This moment for Jacob, this is a dark and painful episode. I mean, Jacob, he doesn't know if he's going to be alive in 24 hours. 
For all he knows, Esau's already gotten all of his possessions. He has no idea. He's been stripped of everything he grasped for for himself. And, and you get the sense that all the wheels have rolled off for Jacob. And this, this place, this moment of being stripped away, that's a place all of us are going to get to. It's not just a place for Jacob. All the things you work for, all the things you, you hoped for, all the things that gave you some sort of status or value or you held on to or you worked hard for, at some point, all those things are going to be stripped away. It's just going to be you and whatever you think about God. And you're going to get into this wrestling match, this emotional, spiritual wrestling match. And God's putting his hand on you. And you can come out limping. You can come out with things that you thought you valued and now you don't have them anymore. And it's possible just right here you're in that wrestling match. I mean, I can't see it because you're all sitting here looking at me nicely, but you could be in that emotional wrestling match just saying, yeah, that's what's happening. All of my dreams, all of my hopes, all the things I work for, they're being broken. I'm being broken. I'm, I'm being hurt by God himself. When I come out of this, no matter how I come out of it, I'm going to come out limping. I'm not going to come out. I'm not ever going to get back to 100%. And, and I can think of at least two Two places that were particularly painful for me. Things I valued after the episode was over, I didn't get them back. They weren't going to come back. I came out limping. These are moments of a great spiritual opportunity. They're painful, they're lonely. They're dark. Things that you really valued, they don't have to be negative things, really do get stripped away. And you might be in that place. And, and after the service, I'll be here up front. And if you want somebody to pray for you because you feel like you're in that spot, I'd be happy to. Just Sometimes it's helpful just to say, can you, you pray for me as I'm in this wrestling match? 20, verse 24. It's dark. Jacob is alone. And just out of nowhere, some man appears. You see this? And Jacob is left alone and a man wrestled with him. And you have no idea. This is just Jacob gets ambushed. He thinks he's by himself. Maybe it's a bandit who's sort of looking for somebody that's isolated to steal from him. Maybe he thinks and probably it's Esau. He's been tracking me. I mean, Esau's jumping me. Or Esau sent one of his men to jump me. And, and Jacob doesn't know who it is. It's too dark. He can't really see. But what he does understand is, I'm in a wrestling match for my life. And it's not a wrestling match that, that has two-minute periods. And then you get a rest. It's all night long. And then verse 25, there's a series of very strange statements. Notice, the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. I mean, because we've read ahead, we realize the man is, is some sort of divine being. God showing up in a human form in the Old Testament. Some sort of theophany is what uh, scholars would call it. So how is it that God's wrestling with Jacob, but God can't seem to prevail? And when you read the commentaries, there's all kinds of questions about this particular statement. And this is what I think is happening. I think this 
divine man is deliberately restraining himself in order to exhaust everything out of Jacob. See, Jacob had already been stripped of all of his external possessions, but he still has a lot of internal possessions. And this divine man is coming in and saying, I need to exhaust all the internal possessions at this particular point. And so in a final blow, the man, just with a light touch, it says in the Hebrew, he dislocates Jacob's hip. Now, first of all, that's terribly painful, as you might imagine. But also, if you're a wrestler, all of your power comes from your hips. So now Jacob, he, he's more desperate than he ever was. Everything is being stripped away. He has no more power externally, and now he's exhausted. He has no more power internally. He's completely dislocated. Not just physically, but, but spiritually. See, this, this is the point in the wrestling match where, where Jacob realizes he's not just wrestling a man, he's, he's wrestling some sort of divine being. And, and in this last sort of exhausted uh, wheeze, because he has no breath left, he says, I'm not going to let you go. You've got to bless me. See, Jacob, the, the self-sufficient, the self-made, the, the wealthy, deceptive person, the person who's grasped for life on his own, realizes, I can't grasp hold of this. I've got to, somebody's got to come from the outside and do something for me. And he pleads for grace. He's, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm completely spent. I'm dislocated. Is it possible that somebody that's so broken could possibly be blessed? Would you bless me, Jacob is saying. And this man gives this very strange reply. What is your name? I mean, what kind of question is that? What is your name? I mean, is it God's wrestling them? Is it like, man, it's awfully dark. I, I mean, is this Jacob? I thought it was Jacob. Now, I think it's the kind of question that God asked Adam. Remember when he comes back into the garden? Adam and Eve are hiding. God comes back in. Remember what he says? Where are you? It's not because Adam and Eve were so good at hide and go seek. It's because he was trying to elicit a confession out of Adam. I want to, Adam, I want to make sure you understand the condition that you're in. Every parent does this. You're asking a question. You already know the answer. You're just trying to get the answer to come out of them. Will they really admit where, what they are, where they are, what they've done? And so he says, Jacob. You remember what Jacob's name means? Deceiver. Remember the last time Jacob got asked, hey, are you really Jacob? Remember his, his earthly father, Isaac. He came in dressed like Esau, smelling like Esau, and... And, and Isaac wasn't sure, are you really Esau? Are you you kind of sound like Jacob. No, 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 I'm Esau. See, he had lied to his heavenly father. Now his earthly father is trying to find out, is he going to tell the truth? Is he going to really confess who he is? It's a critical moment. And, and just one word response. What is your name? Jacob. I'm a deceiver. It's like Jacob had to reach into his heart and rip it out. 
See, my whole life I've been hiding. My whole life I've been grabbing for myself. My whole life I've been getting whatever I want, and I can't right now. And is Jacob going to be able to say, I'm pulling this old self out, and I'm putting it before the Lord, and I'm willing to say, I'm a deceiver. I'm a sinner. See, there's Jacob had lost all kinds of possessions, but there was this one possession left. His old identity. Would he be able to give that up? Then verse 28, he says, I'm a deceiver. And then verse 28 says, huge turning point. It's so, so great. And, and you get the sense uh, from verse 31 when, it, when Moses tells the story and says, the sun is rising. This is such a great moment because Jacob has finally said to God, here's all of my ugliness. And I'm so terrified that I've told you, God Almighty, who I really am. I've really opened myself up. I don't know if you're willing to bless somebody who's willing to confess how ugly they are inside. And what Jacob finds out is God's ready to bless those kind of people. He's anxious to bless those kinds of people. And the sun is coming up now on Jacob for the first time. He spent his whole life in darkness. And now the sun is finally coming up. And just as I pictured it, if I were trying to trying to make a, something artistic so you could get a sense, it would be a, a big picture of the sun just about ready to come up. I mean, it's still dark, but you see the sun's going to burst forth. And if I was a musician, I would have this trumpet fanfare. So you would just hear it when you, you know, like the pop open book, you know, you pop it open and then something happens. In verse 28, I would have the pop open. Sun's gonna come up, this trumpet fanfare. So I'm gonna just play this trumpet fanfare and imagine this verse 28. Isn't that awesome? You turn to verse 28, and that's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel like something great's gonna happen. It's coming on the heels of Jacob saying, I'm deceiver. That's when it comes. At that moment, Jacob's going to prevail, not because of his strength, but because of his confession. And the sun's ready to rise on Jacob. The, the trumpets are going. I don't know if there were trumpets back then. But I, if I were God, I would have said, angels, come on, let's, we got to have trumpets right now. Because somebody's going to do something so tremendous, so huge. They've never done it before. They've exposed their heart to me. And now I'm ready to give them a new heart. It's such a great moment. Jacob, then he, sa- he says to Jacob, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a new name. What a great moment. I'm going to take that old heart of stone out. I'm going to put in a new heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new name. No longer Jacob. You're called Israel. So it's split into two. Israel, prevail, E-L-L, God. God embeds his name into Jacob's life now. You're the one who prevails with God. We need to just remember, Jacob's prevailing not because of his strength. He's prevailing because of his confession. He prevails when he realizes, I'm no match for God. Now remember back in verse 11, when Jacob's coming in. And he's just on the other side of the Jordan River and he's looking for delivery. And he, he makes a prayer, God, would you deliver me? 
little does Jacob realize that his prayer would be answered by God by delivering Jacob from Jacob. See, Jacob's prayer was, I have an external problem. God, could you deliver me from Esau? And God says, hey, Jacob, you don't have any idea what you're praying for. You really do need delivery, but you don't need delivery from Esau. You need delivery from yourself. That's where you get the, you know, be careful what you pray for. Because you might say, God, I've got this external thing. I need you to deliver me from it. And he might say, no, I've got to put my hands on you and break you. Hmm. Jacob doesn't realize until this moment that Jacob's biggest barrier to getting in, Jacob's biggest enemy to getting into the promised land is Jacob. In order for people to realize this, not just Jacob, it often takes an epic wrestling match. You and I don't give up things easily. Because there's a few things we say, yeah, I want to get into the promised land, but I've got to have this. It's got to work out this way. I've got to bring this with me. I've got to have my hands on this. And God might have to break your hands in order for you to let go of that thing. And that means it's going to be painful and you're going to come out limping. Now, I want to stop with the story at that point and i want to try to draw three lines out one to moses one to the new testament and one to us first of all remember moses is delivering this story to a particular audience and his audience are the hebrew slaves they've come out of egypt and where are they they're in the desert and where are they going to the promised land they're in the same place Jacob is. They're, they're not quite there. They need to cross over this barrier, this physical and spiritual barrier. And Moses is telling this, them the story. And at least one takeaway for them is, hey, guys, you don't get in on your own strength. You only get in on God's strength. And remember the first time they went in, they sent the spies into the land. And, and the 12 of them came back and 10 of them said, remember what they said? Those people are giants and we look like grasshoppers. Right. In other words, hey, we, we don't we're not strong enough to get in. And it takes 40 years for God to break that. To say you're never going to get in on your strength or your size. You only get into the promised land on the strength and the size of God Almighty. So that's one place when you read this story, you need to understand how this congregation, this first congregation is understanding it. But secondly, we have a very similar line of thinking from Christ. Jesus comes into the world, and after his time in the desert, he comes out preaching. And he's preaching, behold, the, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God is near. It's the, the real promised land. How do you get from this place, the earth, into heaven? How do you get into the ultimate promised land? And Jesus is saying, I want you to come in. I, I'm here to make a way for you to come in. In Luke chapter 13, verse 24, he says this, Make every effort to enter into the kingdom of God. You, you make every effort to try to get in. And he says, come through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but they will not be able. Why is the door so narrow? I mean, I want you to come into the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, but it's a narrow door. It's so narrow, only you can squeeze through. 
No possession. There's nothing you bring that gets you in. Just Jesus gets you in. And if you're holding on to any possession, any good work, anything you think, hey, this gets me in, and it's not Jesus, you can't fit through. Matthew 19, verse 23, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, a rich man has so many possessions, he feels like i got to take, these are the reasons I get in, but God must have blessed me, I deserve to get in. So it's very hard for people who think they're deserving, who spend a whole lifetime living in a I deserve this kind of mentality. It's very hard for them to get into the kingdom of heaven, he says. In fact, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom. A few chapters later, Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Woe to you, preachers, pastors, religious people. What does he say? You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of God in men's faces, and you yourselves, you're not entering in. Why? Why can't the wealthy and the religious get in? They're bringing things with them. Hey, I tithe. I I go to church. I served on the, the deacon board. I... I volunteered in the nursery. I did. That's what gets me in all these things. No, you can't get in. You got too many possessions to get in. If you come as a religious person or as a wealthy person thinking somehow you can buy your way in. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't just give us warnings. He says, hey, here's a great picture. Everyone can understand this picture. This is how you get into the kingdom of heaven. And you get the sense everybody's leaning forward going, okay, tell us how we want to get in. We want to slip through this narrow door. And this is what he says, Matthew 18. I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, he's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to be the greatest in the real promised land you see the door into heaven is terribly low it's so low anyone can get in but it's so low that everyone has to bow in order to squeeze through and it turns out bowing down is pretty difficult letting go of possessions is pretty difficult but everyone can get in if you come in that way. It's what Jacob learned. I've got to rip out all of this stuff, all of my internal possession, all of my external possessions. They all have to go, and then I'm ready for God's blessing. Now, what about you and me? I wonder if you're here today and you think, yeah, I've been thinking my, the narrative in my head is the biggest problem I face is external. If this person, if this situation, if this thing would turn around, then I'd be okay. But I'm all focused on the external. And Christ, through this sermon, is saying, hey, you know what? Your biggest problem, the thing that you need to be broken of, is something inside, not something outside. Secondly, like I said, I wonder, I wonder who's in that epic wrestling match. The biggest threat to me is not Tab Thacker. Tab Thacker is a flea compared to Paul Phillips. The biggest problem I face is me. My biggest enemy, my biggest threat into getting into heaven, is me. 
And I wonder if you're, you're there and you're in that wrestling match with the Lord and it may be that something gets lost and you don't get it back. It may be that you get broken and you're never 100% again. But when you slip through that door, you'll be so grateful. Oh, that thing I had to have. That last word I had to get. That one thing that had to come through. I'm so glad that didn't prevent me from an eternity of joy. I wonder if you've learned that the the only way you get in is by ripping out your heart and putting it before the Lord and saying, I'm a deceiver. Is there any hope for somebody like me? Answer? (laughs) Oh, yes. Let's pray together. Lord, we come and this story is just packed. And we, we all will, and many of us have been in this wrestling match, this epic wrestling match, so painful, so alone. Things get lost, we get broken and never are quite back the same. But you're doing something for eternal purposes. You're trying to bring people that are outside through a barrier And the only escort through that barrier is just your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray as you wrestle with your sons and daughters here for your kindness, for your divine restraint, that you don't destroy, you just break down in order to build back up into a, a person with a new name. Strengthen your people. Bring the lost into the reality of who they are and who you are, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.